And so I'd like you to put your hands together because David Delaney, our men's minister, ministry leader, uh, is going to be bringing the word today. Put your hands together as he comes. God bless you, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Amen. I've just got a um, picture up there. It's coming up shortly of a boat in the midst of the storm. And uh, when you look at that picture, um, the artist has tried to capture something there. And uh, the, the interesting thing that I, I look at when I see that is that what happened to that ship? How many people were on that ship? Where was it going and did it make it? It's a very interesting thing. I want to talk about storms today and uh, not a very great subject that we want to talk about very often. But I was reading this story about the Coast Guard in the United States and the rescue mission that they did. It was many years ago. It was back in 1948. But it was just an interesting story. So late in the afternoon, the Coast Guard in, uh, Centre in Miami, Florida, got a call. They'd received a radio message that there'd been an explosion and a fire on a British ship. It was about 300 miles southwest of Miami. And the seas were picking up. It was very rough. The, the ship was now caught in, in a storm. And they didn't have much time. So they had to send out some planes. And uh, I don't know if you know uh, what a Catalina is or a PBY, but they're these massive boat ships. They're like they're aeroplanes that have a hull on them, like a boat, and they can land on water. Some of the models have wheels and they can land on the land, but the, this particular one was a boat plane. And it sailed out there in the midst of this storm from the Coast Guard base. This man, his name was Wong Cheng, and he'd come, his body was covered with severe burns. The ship had done all they could, but they did not have the capacity on the ship to help this man any further, and he was desperately in need of medical care, much more than was available on the ship. And this story was an amazing rescue mission. What had happened with it, the plane had gone out, had to land close to the ship, the, the pilot is fighting the controls. In those days, the planes had wires. They didn't have you know, all the computer-controlled uh, servos and everything else there flying the plane. It was done with cables and levers and pulleys. And these, planes, these pilots had to physically fight to keep the plane in the air. When it landed, it ripped off one of the pontoons on the wing, which was one of the floats on the wing. The tailplane got half-wrecked, and it was very, very difficult to steer the plane taking out. But they lifted off with this man. And what made that rescue mission possible was the ethos of the Coast Guard in the United States. They have this ethos that drives them rescuing people. And it goes right back to 1899. Long time. And there were regulations in the life-saving uh, service at that time. And it said these words. It's pretty wordy. But it said... One won't give up his rescue efforts until by actual trial the impossibility of effecting a rescue is demonstrated. The statement of the keeper that he did not try to use the boat because the sea or surf was too heavy will not be accepted unless attempts to launch it were actually made and they failed. And so many decades, there's this story before that story, before that flying boat went out to rescue that man on the ship. There's a story of another rescue attempt that was made. And there was an Atlantic storm 
underway. There was a large merchant vessel that was foundering and a Coast Guard surf boat was launched into the surf to try and reach the ship and rescue the crew. Now a reporter was there that day and he said to the surfman in charge, why are you tempting a seemingly impossible task? And the surfman replied, they say you must go out and try. They don't say anything about coming back. I just want to read from the word of God this morning. It says these words in Mark chapter 5, verse 35. It says, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat, as he was. And other little boats were also with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and awoke... And they awoke him and said to him, sorry, I've lost my place. Teacher. Teacher. But, uh, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the uh, wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no, no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Yeah. Just going to pray for a moment. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you, Lord, that God, no matter what storms of life are upon us, Lord, no matter what is happening around us, Lord, that you, God, are in control, Lord. We thank you for your word this morning, God. I pray that your word achieves, Lord, all that you desire in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Life can be pretty stormy, can't it? Look back over our last week, what's happening internationally, what's happening locally, what's happening around the place. There's a lot going on. Life can be pretty stormy. And we don't usually ask for storms, do we? We just get told, batten down the hatches, secure your furniture, secure the gazebo out the back, there's a storm coming. We like to know everything, though. As people, we have everything mapped out. We know where we're going to be at any particular time. We've got calendars that keep everything in check to make sure that we don't double book our lives. Christmas isn't far away, you know that? Ten weeks and everybody goes, ah, ah. But a lot of people will be having time off away from their work over Christmas and probably... By now, some of you have already got it planned. You know exactly what you're going to be doing day one. You know exactly what you're going to be doing Christmas day, what you're going to be doing Boxing Day. Others like me, you've got no clue, but that's good. Other people are planning that for me. <laughs> but we do have plans. I work with people who are less than 30 years old and they're talking to me about their retirement. <laughs> Life can't have any surprises. It's got to be this figure. It's got to be this number. I'll cater for everything. And then nothing can go wrong. I read this story. Uh, life has a way of surprising us. And this is the story of uh, a thief over in Sydney. And uh, the article goes like this. An Australian thief got more than he bargained for when he snatched a bag from the boot of a car as it stopped at traffic lights in Redfern in Sydney. The bag contained a venomous red-bellied black snake. <laughs> The bag was stolen from a professional snake catcher. 
Police are now warning local residents to be on the lookout for the loose reptile. <laughs> the spokesman told the ABC News, the bag has been described as being made of heavy duty canvas and greyish blue in colour and contains a 1.2 metre red-bellied black snake, which is possibly quite cranky by now. <laughs> Police said it's venomous and don't approach it. Surprise, surprise. In this text, the disciples were going across the water. And it does say in the text that there were other small boats there. Not sure if this means that the disciples' boat was bigger than the other small boats, necessarily, but it must have been obvious to everyone that it was safe to cross the river because there were lots of little boats. Oh, sorry, cross the, the, the water because there were lots of little boats you don't cross the Sea of Galilee in a little boat unless, if you think there's a storm brewing, that's for sure. This part of the world has very sudden storms, I, I believe. The disciples had the plan. They knew they were, they were going. The plan was, Jesus said it, let's go to the other side. That was the plan. No doubt in their minds they had formulated, oh, there must be something to do on the other side, so Jesus wants to go over to the other side. After all, they'd crossed this quite a few times, this body of water. It was only about 12 kilometres wide at its widest part from the east to the west bank. What could go wrong in that short distance? This is one of those great news scriptures, isn't it? A massive storm attacking people who are in the will of God on their way about doing church business. John 16.32 says, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer... I've overcome the world. You shall have tribulations. That's a word from the mouth of Jesus. Now, I work in, in contract law, and so words really do mean something. There was actually a legal case that lost somebody a million dollars, and it was over the, the comma. The comma was before the end instead of after the end, so they lost a million dollars when it went to court. So words and punctuation in a legal sense are very, very important. And I believe the word of God is a testament to us, and I think words are very important. So when the word shall is used, it removes discretion. I went to other translations and said, surely there's a softer way to see this. And so I went to the NIV and it says, you will have trouble. Not good enough. I went to the uh, American Standard Version. It said, you have tribulation. And in Derby it says, you have tribulation. So that wasn't any help. So I went to the Amplified. And it said, in the world you have tribulation and trials and distress <laughs> and frustration, but be of good cheer. I particularly did not like this translation. No matter how I tried to find a way to explain a way, avoiding this, I could not find it. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus was telling his disciples that there are storms out there. They will come and you will not be immune to them. 
Consequently, as we see Jesus' disciples ought to be aware that they will experience tribulations. And storms can come from nowhere. In our text, the Sea of Galilee, it's a relatively small body of water by today's terms and and in naval navigation. It's between 8 and 12 kilometres wide, like I mentioned. It's surrounded by hills, and this can cause high winds to brew up very, very quickly and suddenly. In the account of this trip that's recorded in in Matthew, the, the other scripture that talks about this same journey, it says, without warning... And suddenly. So these travellers were just going about the business, and all of a sudden, seemingly from nowhere, this storm comes and hits their boat. Sometimes life can be like that, can't it? Yeah. Yeah. We, we may not like the storm, we may not want the storm, but just like the Coast Guard in my opening story, they had to fly planes th- through a storm to do their business. Sometimes when my children were younger and, you know, you're trying to protect your children, you love your children, but they used to just get mocked and tormented at school. And it's no better today, I'm sure, any of you young people who are at school or anybody who's got uh, young, men, young men and women at university, etc. This world is so against the things of God and so against our young people who stand for Christ. They can pick people up and toss them around. They can get ridiculed. Uh, my kids would be playing on the front, out the front yard on our own property and people would just ridicule people over the road. The kids would come and they'd just torment them simply because they just love God. Circumstances in life can change in an instant. Remember Joseph, the right-hand man of Potiphar. And so he goes from being the master's number one dude The wife tries it on and Joseph's strong enough to realise what's going on and then she gets put out, bam, he's in jail for nothing, for nothing. Situations can come along and do that. Life comes at people fast. There's a lot of people in this place and I'm sure right now there's a storm brewing, you're in the midst of a storm or you're just on the other side of the storm and you're trying to catch your breath. Because life can be like that. It could be something you've just heard about, something that you've known about for a while. Jesus sees where you are. Jesus knows where you are. Finances are under assault in this day and age like nothing else that I've ever seen. I remember the 2008 great financial crisis. Who remembers that? The great... What was great about that? (laughs) But I, I believe things are worse now for people and their money. I believe finances are under attack like they've never been before. This is something even extra than the great financial crisis. People have lost jobs out of nowhere. People may be dealing with grief. Someone you know has passed away. Storms are all around us and they're buffeting us all the time. Some people can see the events that are happening around the world and it can create fear and anxiety and worry inside people's hearts. There may even be some people who know people caught up in all of that. You know, Afghanistan's earthquakes, etc., etc., the things that are going on. Maybe people know people, are worried about people and concerned about people. That seemingly came out of nowhere. 
Fear itself can be a storm within us that rises unexpectedly and can attack the foundation of your life. It can rob joy and peace. So much going on. People are hurting and they're not sure what's going on. Secondly, the disciples were caught in the storm. Bad things can happen to really good people. This, in the Coast Guard story, the men planning to go out in that storm don't have a plan for coming back. They just know they have to go out in the storm, risking their life. These men know the sea, they know the risks, but they also know what they have to do. And so they launch out into the storm. They know that the other side of, of them launching the boat is completely unknown. They don't know what awaits them. In our text, the disciples were right in the middle of a storm. Now, this is a severe storm. Would have been one of those open-top fishing vessels, probably not unlike that picture of that boat. And it wasn't made for seagoing storms. It was a fishing boat, most likely. A boat with one sail in the middle, maybe. These disciples would have known the boat really well. They, would have known, they know all about fishing. We know that they know all about fishing. Waves were crashing into their boat, going over the top of the boat. It says in the text, a great storm of wind, waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Their little boat is filling up with water. The disciples were in the middle of this. They were Jesus' guys. They were right there with Jesus. They were team Jesus, yet this storm was assaulting them from everywhere, putting them in fear of their lives. They were experienced fishermen. They'd probably been caught in a storm or two, I'd say. But this storm must have been something unusual because they were in fear of their lives. must have been enough of an experience for them to think, you know what, this is bad. This is real bad. I don't think I've had it this bad before. So much to the point that they're in uncharted waters in terms of storms. That had enough. They're going to go to Jesus and they're going to say, Lord, doesn't it bother you that we're about to die? Anna and I were on a cruise many, many years ago and we were on this little boat sailing up the Straits of Malacca. And apart from a tsunami that sort of wiped through there, these are still steady waters. And uh, we were talking to some of the crew there and they were talking about one of the sister ships, the Superstar Gemini, a much bigger vessel, carries more people. And they were telling me this story about in the North Atlantic when that ship was on a cruise, it got so badly uh, caught in a storm that the waves were coming over the side of the ship. And he pointed to where the waves were coming over on this sister ship. And so he said that the crew, some of them 20 years' experience, were crying. They were so fearful for their lives. Got to imagine these waves coming over the top of that vessel. When you look over the side of this vessel, it's 10 stories above the water. These are huge waves and these people were fearful because they were caught in this storm. But the disciples were in the will of God. How did they get there? They'd been listening telling to Jesus tell parables on the shore of the lake. The parable of the sower, the parable of the lamp that should not be hid, the parable of the mustard seed. So the disciples had been at church. 
They just listened to Jesus himself teaching profound truths. Where were they going? They were going across the sea. Straight after this story, what happens is they land in the, in the Gadarenes. There was a man tormented by demons, driving him to some insane lengths. Had to be chained up, this man. The disciples were going to do some community service work on the other side. They were going to minister to a man in need. On the other side of that, this man would spread the good news of the gospel. But he was a soul bound in sin and tormented by demons that they were going to set free on the other side. So here we have the disciples, just finished church, off to go do something for Jesus on the other side. And then the storm comes and assaults them. The the disciples felt that they couldn't get out of this mess. These guys were men of the sea. If there's something they could have done, I'm sure they would have done it. I don't know what the sayings would be, hoist the mainsails, turn it into the wind, paddle the oars, bail out the water. Whatever they could do, I'm sure they'd done everything they possibly could. They'd used every one of their tricks as fishermen, but it wasn't going to help their circumstances. Eventually they go and wake up Jesus. Ah, well, Peter, you better go and wake up Jesus and just make sure he knows that we're all about to die. Because that's essentially what what they say. They say, don't you know that we are perishing? We're about to die here. So I'm not sure what they expected to happen, but I know that they probably didn't expect the storm to stop because when it did, they said, the scripture says they were amazed. They were amazed at that. So if he... They didn't expect him to stop the storm. I'm not really sure why they woke him up just to say, hey, nice knowing you, we're all about to die. <laughs> I don't know, you, you work that one out. <laughs> Look around. We're surrounded by honest, decent, hard-working, Jesus-loving, caring people all around us. But some, some of you are going through a storm. Some of you are right in the middle of it. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe you're not sure what the answer is or where it's going to come from. Hardly a week goes by without me hearing some story at work now. And as I've got older, it's just got more and more that so-and-so, oh, no, he died. What? Oh, no, he's, he's, uh, he's had a heart attack and had to, had to retire, things like that, all the time. How can we possibly get through that? This is where these disciples were too. How can we get through this? When Anna and Marie and I were newly married, nearly 35 years ago now, but life was good. And as newlyweds, who's a newlywed? You know what I'm talking about. Life's good when you're first married. It's a great thing. Still is. (laughs) Anna and I are still on honeymoon. Sorry. Um, And so life was good. And so we'd been married for about 12 weeks. And... uh, you know, I've, I've got grandchildren now, so this, this, particularly as I get to build a relationship with my grandchild, I, I appreciate how, how good that is to be able to interact with your own grandchild. And my father, uh, about 12 weeks into our uh, married bliss, decided to die. He just suddenly stopped going. 
And he was, a, he, was, he was just into his 60s, was sharing stories about how wonderful it was to be retired. We, Anna and I, didn't have any children. And uh, he was in the military, so he was a boxer. And you look at him and you think, that's a fit guy for, you know, 62. What a, what a fit bloke he is. But he just died. And that wasn't supposed to happen. I mean, you know, he was supposed to be there for my grandkids and... He was supposed to be there to, you know, counsel us through all those things that marriage people need when they're first establishing their married life, etc. Surely God had made a mistake and that he was just going to wake up. And I'm there and uh, I got the call from my mum. I was only a couple of minutes away, so I raced to the house and I was doing mouth-to-mouth on his... You know, he, he'd already left. He was having a party in heaven, but I was doing mouth-to-mouth on him when the ambulance came and they took over and you know, there was nothing they could do. But he had gone. But that wasn't part of my plan, I can assure you. I was 25, my wife was 20, and we found ourselves focused around, in those early days of our married life, a grieving process and burying my father. We just had no idea. It just hit us like a storm from nowhere. The disciples were smart enough to know who to trust when the storm was driving them. We sung a song uh, this morning, I Won't Be Going Under. I've got joy in chaos. Do you remember that song we sung this morning? What a great, great story. I've got joy in the midst of chaos and I won't be going under. Praise God. Nothing catches God by surprise. Nothing catches God by surprise. In Mark 8.31 it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise from the dead. Jesus is telling his disciples what's about to come. I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise three days later. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. He knew it. It didn't catch him by surprise in the least. But that act of him going to the cross made a way for all of us to have a right relationship with God. His blood, the Bible says, can wash us white as snow. Jesus going to the cross is the ultimate answer for all of humanity. In fact, right now, I've got a couple more things to say, but why don't we just bow our heads for a moment, just right where we are. I just want to put out a call this morning. Perhaps you're in this place and you don't have that relationship with Jesus. You don't know the joy of knowing your sins are forgiven, that no matter what life throws at you, Jesus will be there with you to help you. So just going to take one brief moment. If you're in this place, you don't have that relationship with Jesus, you don't know the joy of knowing your sins are forgiven and that when you die, you go to be with Jesus for eternity. You don't know that, but you'd like that. Just simply raise your hand this morning and show me and, and we will pray for you. Just raise your hand. You're not right with God, but you'd like to make that right now. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I see those hands. Jesus sees those hands. We're going to pray just a prayer to help these people. Yeah. So if you know this prayer, pray it out with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you today. And I know that I've done things wrong. But I know that you love me. And I believe that you went to the cross 
to pay the price for my sins. And I want to invite you to come into my life to cleanse me from all that unrighteousness. And I want to live for you from this day forward. Amen. Amen. We had a couple of people raise their hand there. After the service, come and talk to me. I'd love to, to talk to you more about that. And so, but the Bible says angels are rejoicing because a couple of people have responded and received Jesus. What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing. Amen. Yes, please clap him. Clap Jesus. Hallelujah. So what's Jesus doing when this terrible storm is upon him? You got it. The boat would have been thrown around in the rough seas. Water was filling it up. It was filling up the boat. So I hope Jesus had a nice little high spot at the end of the boat or something. Otherwise, he would have been wet. But he's asleep. He's asleep in the midst of the storm. But not only sleeping. Our text says he has a pillow. Now, I've slept many times on a moving train. We've probably all done it, taken a a nap here and there, and then the train's buffeting. You're not really getting any quality sleep, are you? You're just catching 40 winks. Jesus isn't catching 40 winks. He's taking a pillow. When my wife goes away and we stay at some uh, hotel or we're staying at an unfamiliar place, she takes her pillow. You know why? Because she says, I don't care what the bed's like. I'm taking my pillow and I'm going to get a good sleep. So when you've got your pillow, you're planning on having a sleep. You're planning on being comfortable and you're planning on checking out for a little while, restoring the batteries and having that sleep. So here's Jesus. He, would have, he must have felt safe. You can't go to sleep if you've, if you've got a threat going on around you or you're worried. You ever gone somewhere and needed to take your pillow? Pillow says, I'm going to have a sleep and I'm planning for it to be a good one. So what do we learn from this? I don't think God is trying to tell us that he's asleep in the midst of our storm. I don't think that. I think we have a statement about being completely in control, no matter what the circumstances are going on around you. Jesus has got this. He is completely in control. He must have been safe, been comfortable, And in that situation right in the middle of the storm, I'm sure he knew that there was a storm on. I'm sure he knew that there was a storm coming. But all he said was, oh, we're going to the other side. The whole thing was a bit of a non-event to Jesus because he's sleeping through it. Just wake me up at the other side, guys. He knew, though, that he could just tell the storm to shut up anyway. Jesus' only recorded statement prior to being woken up was, let's go over to the other side. And then the Bible says he goes to sleep. Nothing's out of control for our God. Nothing is out of control for our God. God can handle anything because he's a big God. A storm, no trouble. A massive marauding army, Jehoshaphat, goes out to meet the marauding army coming to invade. And they sing and hand it all over to God. And the army turns on itself. What about me? What, what about my storm? What about my storm in life? Well, we can acknowledge God calms the storm. 
He can win wars. He defeats demons. When they went to the other side, the demoniac of the Gadarene, they said he had legion of demons. That's about 6,000 military terms, a legion. 2,000 pigs. Jesus cast them out. That's about three demons per pig. That's how my mind works. No wonder they ran into the water and drowned themselves. Jesus is right there in the boat with you. He knows your pain. He knows your trouble. He knows when we're in fear and he knows when we're worried and we can't see the other side. It would have been hard to see the other side in the midst of that storm. But the secret in life is that storms are sure to come. But who do you turn to in the storm? God's not surprised. He's not worried. He's not troubled. He's got everything under control. We simply have to go, just like the disciples, not, Lord, don't you care that I'm dying, but, Lord, still the storm. Still the storm. And he can do it. He knows where you are and he knows what you're going through. And he is with you in this boat. Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. Amen. Just going to give people a moment. I don't know where you are at. I don't know what you're going through. But I do know Jesus knows. And I do know that he's with you. And I know that he cares for you. So if you feel you're in the midst of a storm or you're in that place where you just don't know the answer, you can't see the answer, you're troubled, Jesus is with you. Jesus has got the ability to help you and he can calm that storm. So we're just going to pray as we close this morning. I just wonder if you're in this place, right where you are, just stand to your feet and we're going to pray that God helps you where you're at. You might be worried about things going on in your life. You might be looking for an answer to a certain circumstances. I don't know what it is. But right where you are, don't be ashamed. Jesus knows where you are. Just stand to your feet right where you are and we're just going to pray. Amen. Jesus knows where you are. He's with you in this. He loves you. And he's got this. Amen. Church, while we've all got our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's just pray for these precious people who have stood to their feet. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're a God who is with us, Lord, through life, Lord, that we're not just left to do this on our own, but you're a God who cares for us, you're a God who is with us, and you're a God who is never taken by surprise. Lord, All of these precious people on their feet, Lord, we just pray, God, for them, Lord. We pray, God, that you would, Lord, give them that peace in the midst of the storm, Lord. Give them that calm to know that you're in control, Lord. That, Lord, no matter what happens, God, you have got this. And that, Lord, we just pray, Lord, for deliverance where it's needed, God, for for jobs where it's needed, Lord, for, for finances where it's needed, for health where it's needed because you are the God who can calm the storm and we're in awe of your majesty God and your love and your grace 
Amen. Let's all stand to our feet and worship this morning.